Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I am the host, and in today's episode, I interview Gary McCoy. A high-performance coach with a sports science background and has consulted with elite sporting teams and businesses all over the world. Currently, Gary hosts the Human Kinsom Project podcast, Vice President of Performance at Kinetic Science and Australian National Baseball Strength and Conditioning Coach. Highlights from this episode, we discussed how he transitioned from Australia to the US, Gary's key role in developing sports science in America in the strength conditioning circles through Catapult, Gary's physical preparation philosophy, the challenges of data analytics and tracking and the importance of a simplified approach to your measurements, practical tips for strength and conditioning coaches wanting to work in elite sport. For those listening in wanting to join our online program, we have a seven-day free trial. Head to preparelikeapro.com and join our email list to receive a free masterclass valued at $50 and a seven-day program. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Gary. Good to see you, Jack. Thanks for having me on, mate. How does it feel being on the other side of the uh, the podcast, the interview? Is it? Yeah, it feels normal. I uh, went into a being a podcast host, kind of kicking and screaming. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's fun. I certainly know what you uh, how you work and and how you put it together. But uh, yeah, mate. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, looking for this chat, mate. Thanks for jumping on and. Um... You're our second international, you're an Aussie, but our second international episode, which is cool that Very we can cool. do this as well. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Let, let's dive into the beginning of your career. At what age did you discover you had a, a passion for strength and conditioning? You know, it was really funny. Uh, it was all around sports performance for me. So growing up as a kid, I grew up in Melbourne, grew up in Ascot Vale, right? And, uh, you know, <laughs> every time I throw that out there, um, <laughs> I've got to follow it up with one of my best friends growing up was one of the leading characters in the underbelly, but we'll stop that conversation there and continue to move because people often ask me, man, you in the witness protection program? Is that why you went to the other side of the world? Uh, Yeah, no, is the answer to that one. So, uh, yeah, so growing up in Ascot Vale. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, brilliant, right? So, so, yeah, so growing up in Ascot Vale, I had a choice at the end of my high school certificate, which it wasn't back in the day, right? I had a choice, had a kind of a visual arts um, kind of gift, and uh, I thought graphic design was potentially going to be the future. But I really liked the sports I was playing. I just finished uh, kind of swimming at a very high level, followed a cousin into baseball, was really enjoying that. So then I had an opportunity to go into physical education over at um, Victoria University, then FIT. Uh, and the, how I made that decision, mate, I could walk to one in like 10 minutes or as a bus and a tram to the other one. So kind of indirectly geography made a decision for me, but the passion was always there. It's all my true north has always been the evolution of the athlete. And how do we make in my day when I was playing, how do I get better? But now it's all about how do I how do I get that athlete better? So that is definitely true north for me. So it fit in really well. And who was sort of like the first athlete coach or strength and coach that you were involved with? Well, there are a number, right? So baseball, like moving into that at the age of 15, yeah, it's, a, it's a fledgling sport, I guess you'd call it in Australia by Australian standards. I think the participation level is something like 50,000, 60,000 participants only, and um, we, you know, which isn't bad, but uh, you know, it's certainly not a high-ranked sport. But there were coaches I was having, one that 
lived in Melbourne as I was getting to an elite level. Um, he actually worked at the Victorian Institute of Sport for a while. His name's Matthew Sheldon Collins. And Matty, um, as I got to know him really well, he was the first one to start this kind of journey towards let's break down the sport and let's analyse it and let's analyse the conditioning components for the sport. So while he didn't have a background uh, as a strength and conditioning coach, he certainly broke down the physical systems elements of sport really well. So I would yep. say he was the first, and then the journey kind of continued continued on and mate still being influenced by some really sharp minds, which is so, so, Yeah, so you're an athlete in being at, and baseball. At what age did you um, have to put the, the athlete hat off and, and focus on the coaching side of things? I guess our strength coaches listening to this, you know, I don't think we ever take the athlete hat off. It just comes on with less frequency, right, due to aches, pains, yep. and everything else. Um, yep. I would say it was probably, uh, oh, man, I want to say 2005, 2006. Okay. Um, I pretty much hung up. I was playing, I was, I'd already relocated to the US and was playing a lot of amateur baseball here um, yep. at, a, yeah, at a decent level for age, you know, age bracket level and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I really shifted full time into a strength and conditioning role um, in 2007. I was kind of doing consulting work. Um, I had a role which w- really exposed me to a lot as uh, director of education for a equipment company called Cybex. So back in the day, big strength, big isokinetic um, manufacturing company, and all the data that we were aggregating and, and applying into the learnings and how to make a better chest press and how to make a better lat pull and all these other things biomechanically that we're doing scientifically, I was in a really nice role where I could go out and apply that to different teams around the world. One week I'd be in baseball with the Cleveland Indians inside their clubhouse working with their athletes. Then I'd be a plane going on a plane going to Europe, uh, working with like Manchester United and have guys like David Beckham, who was a rookie there at the time, right? And doing testing on those guys. So it was a really, really fortunate um, opportunity that I really made the most of, not only in terms of learning from great sports and great teams and great practitioners around the world, as well as great athletes, but but keeping a really open mind and networking really well is what I did in that in that role. Yeah, something that's already coming through um, is the the science of the scientific approach that you have, um, yeah. whether yeah. analysis or or from the biomechanics side of things. Is yeah. that is that something that you were drawn to, um, you know, during high school and and then applied to your coaching as as you sort of got into the trade, or is it something that you've always? You know, it's towards? you know, it's something I it's something I picked up. Like I I tend to analyze failure pretty hard, right? And so if an athlete fails, a team fails. So I think, and I think we all do that to a degree, right? You analyze, you enjoy the success, but you really analyze why in the, in the failure side of the equation. So I think it started for me when in this role I had with Cybex, uh, one of the things I had to do was figure out what made our equipment feel better and perform better than other pieces of equipment. And a lot of that had to do with arthrokinematics, locations of positioning of the the moment arm, the various loads, et cetera, et cetera, and put it all together into training even our salespeople on how to have that discussion with a buyer, right? So it really started there on a micro level, like let's look at where the axis of the knee is relative to position on, say, a leg extension for rehabilitation and then take that out. So, but I've always, and I think it's one of the biggest problems in comparing 
what's lacking in the US in sports science to what we have in Australia and what we have internationally, what's lacking here is a real fundamental ability to analyze the physical systems and, and their and how they impact the technical ability in sport. It seems to be that things are just thrown on the wall to see if they stick. And when I come in and break it down, one of the first questions I'll ask is, give me the key performance indicators for this position and now for this athlete uh, and now for your team and how that all blends in together. And yeah. sometimes just asking that question, it'll take two hours to get an answer, right? And it shouldn't, right? It should be pretty simple. We want this guy to do this repeatedly. Okay, well, then let's build that. But that seems to be, that analysis seems to be lacking a fair bit here uh, and probably good for me because it keeps me, in, keeps me employed. And, and, and a few more Australians are following suit. For the SNCs listening in, what, why do you think that is? Because there's obviously a lot of strengths that come out of American performance. Um, yeah. Their athletes are, are unbelievable. What, why do you think the analytics and the sports science strength, that, that side of it, is lacking? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. Like Coming back to Australia, like in 2013, the end of 2013, um, I was headhunted by Catapult Sports and I took on a role with them as their senior applied sports scientist. And the then CEO of the company, um, Sean Holthouse, said to me, look, we've failed in the US at getting our product into that market. Um, we've, we tried to bring this product into baseball and we kept hearing your name. You know, you're one of the Australians that's worked there. Um, so I was actually working in Taiwan at the time and he said, hey, do you want to go back home to the US and, and do this for us? And I'm like, sure. And that was a, it was a wonderful opportunity because subjectivity and all, I think, strength and conditioning coaches have this discussion at some point with a tactical coach, a member of the organization that they're working within. They'll give you their opinion. Um, and it's very much subjective. You know, this guy's out of shape. You know, how many times do you hear that? Well, <laughs> where's that coming from, right? You hear all these questions. What I hoped Catapult would do, and it really did for me, was create objectivity around a very subjective arena of discussion. So, and, and, and so for that, to that end, to answer that question, yeah, I think that's where it, it, it kind of started. And then that process of applying data and creating objective kind of measures was the thing that all of a sudden, yeah, muted there, sorry. Um, I realized really quickly that we were way ahead in Australia and then I tried to unpack why. Uh, why are we so far ahead? And, yeah, and, yeah and, and it was like I think our lack, of, our lack of medals in the Olympic Games in 76 drives the Australian Institute of Sport funding, right? And yep. then I, tell, I kind of jokingly tell a story uh, in America, that hey, in Australia we don't care about global warming, curing cancer, but damn it, we care about gold medals, right? So sports our religion. So no having that, yeah. So so I tell that story, but in the US, um, it's a very much a strength and conditioning model, but it's a fit the athlete into the exercise. Don't design the exercise for the athlete. Yeah, that is a yeah. big problem. So. Um, I even remember and recall, and I know that like Major League Baseball teams will be hiring strength coaches for their system, right, next year. And a lot of the times I'll say, hey, um, show us, send in a video of you performing a squat and tell us what the cues are for the squat, right? Well, guess what? There's only one player on a baseball team that should be doing a squat, and that's a catcher, right? It's it's neurally backwards for just about every other athlete, right? Doesn't doesn't apply to the bilateral asymmetry of that sport. They don't even ask. We're not even asking the right questions yet, but 
the strength and conditioning culture became so popular in the US. You've got a lot of strong athletes, but boy, they are fragile. It's such a, um, it's an interesting topic. And I love the fact that you mentioned the AIS and, and 1977, where, it, where it's all sort of started. And I guess yeah. it makes a lot of sense. It, it sort of reminds you of the, um, um, if you haven't got all the talent, you've got to find a way to, to, to make the most of your talent, don't you? Compared to potentially in America, there's a the whole heap of, of um, high caliber athletes. So either, you know, survival of the fittest because you can afford yeah. to, where for us, we've got to sort of look after them. Um, well, exactly. There's a hybrid of the two where both of them both programs can help each other or both philosophies, I should say. Yeah, and you see it right on the nail, mate. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things, like I had to define sports science, like why does it exist? Like so I go into an NFL team. This was the Cleveland Browns. I think it was back in 2013, 14. And they're like, well, sports science, you know, can you define that for us? How should we be measuring our success in that channel? Yeah. And I said, well, let me come up with, I, I, I started to come up with this quote. I said, there's really two laws in sports science. Law one is decrease preventable injury. Yeah. And law two is optimize the genetic potential of that athlete in the sport, technically within their sport. If I just had to put it down to those two things, and that's kind of the yin and the yang, training has to, first and foremost, every exercise kind of lives on a risk-benefit spectrum. We cannot risk not having that athlete available for the game on Sunday if it's the NFL, right? We can't risk having that. And we've got to make sure we're optimizing performance to what they need to do and understand what they need to do and how they need to move on the field of play. So when launching that in, um, it it became a really like a, a point of discussion. I started getting picked up in the media quite a bit and I'll never forget Tom Haberstro, his name is, uh, you can look him up. He's an ESPN basketball kind of blogger and is on ESPN quite a bit. He looked at me um, over a coffee and he said, so Gary, what you're telling me is the best ability is availability. And I was like, oh, mate, that's, a, that's my next T-shirt or the next sign in a clubhouse, right? And so yeah. we kind of hung on to that term, but I truly believe that. And I think at the core of it all, uh, we've got to make sure we've got healthy, available athletes and then as a sidebar to that, 100% you know, hitting their optimal genetic potential. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for breaking that down. Those two laws are hopefully always sees it and noted those two down. And for the developing athletes as well that are listening in, um, what would be some, some uh, habits that you get excited about when you're taking on a new athlete and they're, and they're already starting uh, to do? Yeah, look, um, rule number one for me taking on a new athlete, I, I use the term, I got to look at them through childlike eyes right? It's not let your own confirmation bias creep in from other athletes. And in a sport like baseball, it's really, we're a school-based sport, but there's a, like, there's an art to pitching a baseball and there's, there's a science to it as well. And so uh, 50% of the roster in baseball is pitchers. So they're the predominance of the athlete type that I work with. Yeah. And if, and sometimes I'll have pitching coaches come to me and say, well, um, he should do this. He should do that. And I'm real sensitive to this word should because should is based upon a set of measures or markers or values that somebody else is putting putting in place, right? Um, yeah, and I try to teach the coaches to look through, okay, I always ask, which lens are we looking at this in? Are we looking at this athlete through the lens of injury prevention? So now I've got to go back and look at his injury history, everything that's happened, where they are, even in contract, in terms of contract link with that team. So we know what resource application we need to have. Are we looking at this through a lens of optimal performance? Like 
throwing the baseball as hard as we can, that velocity factor, right? Velocity and spin rate are the two key performance indicators that coaches generally tend to look at in baseball. So looking at that, if that's the lens we're looking at, I've got to create that, create it repeatably, but not threaten the risk of injury. So trying to get the optic around it is is key for me. So approaching a new athlete, that's the very first thing. Who are you? Where are you? Tell me your, tell me your throwing history, your, your game history, um, your injury history. I've got a guy right now I'm working with who's in Japan, so his film is back and forth just about every day. I know him really well, but I had a gap period where things changed on him, and so I have to start from scratch all over again. So um, I, I often joke, um, I've been approached like three times to write a book on baseball conditioning, and I was yeah. like, well, I'll, I'll only be 60% accurate because that other 40% is all individual, right? It's individualized. And I need to, if Jack, if I'm writing a program for you, I need to understand you. There's a dozen assessments I'd want to do on you before I'd make one recommendation. And are you noticing the individualization of the sports science is starting to, now that you've been in America for a while, speaking to other colleagues, is it starting to spread amongst other clubs? I wish it would spread faster. And I'll give you, I won't mention the teams because a little embarrassing, but there's uh, three uh, NFL teams I worked with two years ago um, yeah. that one size fits all in terms of what they do in the weight room. So it didn't matter if you were a wide receiver or a lineman, you were doing the same workout program. And I was like, oh, look out for that, right? Say that again, mate. As well as injury history as well. So that didn't matter. Everybody didn't matter. Didn't matter. Yeah, didn't matter. So, um, <laughs> I'd love it if it accelerated fast. And that's, look, America is not always the first, but they generally accelerate on, on this curve pretty fast. I'll throw a lot of money at something and, and, and bring it forward. I'm still waiting for that kind of vector to sweep up in sports science. And look, it's not there today. I, you know, I was fortunate in baseball to, in Asia to have a zero injury season. And so that got picked up in the media over here, picked up by the New York Times. I, I get a lot of inbound inquiries around that. But, you know, it's, there is a science to that. And there is a lot of work that goes into designing an injury-free season. And look, the sports here aren't close. I, you know, I wish they were closer. And they're getting better, but it's marginal gains. There's- oh, no doubt it'll people like yourself, it, it will um, speed up and hopefully yeah, accelerate the development. And like you said, once the awareness is there, uh, everyone will be on board. Yeah, yeah and Catapult, ironically, and yeah, Melbourne Company Catapult, they, um, they're kind of the default operating system for sports science globally, right? So they've got a metric player load. You're probably really familiar with it, right? So yeah. the sad thing is load management is probably the most misused or misunderstood term in most sports in the United States. And I kind of feel guilty in part because we developed that metric based upon data we were getting from the AFL, right? So all this running, you know, now apply, try to apply a player load score to 43% of athletes in the NFL that don't run, right? Yeah. Player load, 95% of that equation is distance, is yeah. distance. And so now they're going, oh, we've got a player load score on a left tackle in the NFL. It's, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Look at the oscillations. Look at the force output. There's so many things that... I think Catapult did incredibly well, but it, what it also has done is open up what's missing. And mm-hmm. there is also, I think with technology, we can't rely on it wholly. We've got to understand those error coefficients in tech and have a confidence interval applied to how we're using that data prescriptive. And do you see that going forward, that a company like Catapult would have a specific player load to, to each sport? Absolutely. And I think there's some, there's, there's a couple of really smart people now in like 
two people in in the NFL. Uh, one was kind of my right hand for a long time at Catapult, uh, Dr. Ben Peterson. He was finishing up his PhD and I gave him his first job. It was actually a sales job at Catapult. I said, mate, don't know uh, where this is going to lead, but I think we're on the front end of some really cool analysis here. Well, he's now the vice president, I think, or head of performance for uh, the San Francisco 49ers. So his application of data I know is probably second to none. Um, Buffalo Bills also secured Emma Beanland, who we brought to the US from Melbourne, who was a sports scientist with Catapult. And she's doing some phenomenal work over with the Bills. So um, yeah, look, it's getting better. The good news is technology and data, I think, is probably ahead of the right questions for a lot of the American practitioners. Like they haven't got the question ahead of the or the theory ahead of the model that they're trying to present. So, um, yeah, look, with smart people coming in, those sports are only going to get better. And, and you've mentioned a couple already, but who are some other strong influence that have helped shape your career, like mentors? Oh, man. Um, yeah, and it's like, it's really funny. I don't know if I use the, um, uh, the mentor term well. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it was a bad Seinfeld episode that I kind of shrugged me off that term. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, definitely influence. I'll, I'll give you some names off the top of my head. So Dr. Marcus Elliott, who runs a uh, lab out of Santa Barbara called P3. Um, Marcus was kind of shunned out of baseball. When I met him, he was the only scientific mind I found in the game of baseball. Does some phenomenal work. Is now in charge of the NBA Combine. Does an incredible musculoskeletal assessment on athletes and with the data sets that he has can I'll never say anyone can predict injury, but boy, he can show risk of injury probably better than anybody else. So definitely him with P3. Um, uh, Alex McKechnie, who's an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors, learned so much from him. This was a guy that cured Shaquille O'Neal's kind of back and oblique injuries uh, when he was with the Lakers and went to the Raptors and through reduction of injury, drove them to an NBA title a year or two ago. So um, he, he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Dr. John Meyer over at the University of Southern California was another one. Uh, he's now with the Clippers and the Kings. Um, and I guess even recently at Kinetics, like Dr. Brianne Everett, she was a plastic surgeon working in distal neuropathy for diabetics when she developed the technology. She hires a guy to be president of this company, and I'm trying to figure it out. This guy's an energy trader. His name's Corey Paddock. He used to trade in energies. One of the most brilliant guys I've ever met. He's kind of like mortar between bricks in a system. So, mate, you keep your eyes and ears open. Um, I always say, look, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, right? Get somewhere where, where you can learn. And, and I've often, like some people say, like on some radio interviews, oh, this guy's an expert in human movement. No, don't call me that. Call me an expert learner. Don't call me an expert because that's what I think I've – Got, gathered the ability to do yeah yeah that, that, that's great philosophy to have because you know we're continually learning aren't we and, and sharpening our craft well, we, um, hope. <laughs> we hope we are right yeah on that topic what, what's one of your favorite ways to develop your your methods and and sharpen your practical skills is yeah. it is it speaking to colleagues like workshops yeah no it's 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 Again, really fortunate to have the social capital I have to be able to walk into the NBA league office at any time and talk to the number two and three guys there. And I think Catapult gave me a lot of this kind of currency to be able to do that, Um, uh, to be able to talk to guys like Darren Burgess now at Melbourne, right? I've kept in touch with Burjo since I met him in 2013. 
Uh, I think he was with Adelaide and, you know, came over, went to Arsenal and, uh, you know, having his brain to pick. David Tenney, another performance guy who's in soccer, having his brain to pick. Um, I was on a performance advisory board with the group leaders in performance and some of the people that were on that were just stunning in terms of their academic credential guys like Andy Walsh who was over at Red Bull and like listening to them and like we kind of would craft philosophical questions like one of the biggest ones we're kind of grappling with which is probably an entire another uh, episode here for you but it's this central governor theory I don't know if uh, you've ever run across it but what is creating what is arbitrary capacity in terms of human performance mentally driven is theologically driven what is it Right, it was raised, I think, first in 1999 at an ACSM conference here. Just picked up recently um, in a book, Endure, by a, um, an endurance athlete, Al- uh, Alex Hutchinson. Really good read, and he kind of tries to um, unlock this theory uh, pretty much. So we've had some a uh, couple of good discussions around you know, what it means for a marathon runner versus what it means for me to uh, unlock a, a velocity on a baseball pitcher. So it's getting in and having being fortunate to have those conversations, to uh, have decisions, um, watch decisions in organizations work, not work. Um, I, look, that is probably to me more impactful on, on me and my methodology and my applied side than probably research is because like how many more nine-week studies can I see on 18 to 22-year-old males, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, here we go. There's, there's another one. Um, so. Research is needed, uh, but better applied research, I think, is needed. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Awesome, mate. We'll, we'll have a quick drink break. Here's a video about our academy guys, and then we've had a couple of academy members send through some questions for you, Gary, which will be uh, good fun. So no worries. quick second break. Here we go. Hey, guys, CJ here. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with Jack for the last two years preparing for last year's NAB AFL Draft Combine and then this year's NAB AFL Draft Combine. Um, He's been absolutely amazing, helping me zone in on specific areas of what I wanted to work on, which was my endurance of the 2K time trial and um, the 20-metre sprint. Trying to crack that under three seconds has been a massive goal for me this year, and I feel like that the work that I've put in with Jack, he's just helped me skyrocket um, for my personal goals, which has been absolutely amazing for me. But it's not only it's not only what he's done on field for me, it's what he's done off field for me. He's been able to help me be persistent with the lockdowns that we've had, stay motivated, prepare for massive events, especially the combine this year, which was done over Strava, unfortunately, that we couldn't get out to the Holden Center and compete um, against the other the other prospects. But also the massive one is just recovering. He's been able to give me a massive massive influences on how to recover properly. Obviously fueling for your next sessions massively for me as well and the advice that he's given me so far has just been second to none. It's been really appreciative what he's done. Um, I've really enjoyed working with Jack. I feel like we've become a bit of a, we've made a bit of a friendship, which is always, it makes it easier when you're training, when you've got basically a mate that's telling you what to do. It makes it a whole lot easier than a, than a random coach that you've never really met before. So I feel like Jack's just helped me, helped me prepare for the combine as, as, as best as I could. And yeah, I can't appreciate the stuff that he's done for me. And yeah, he's made me really tick some boxes in, in my own my own goods and hopefully recruiters and are happy with my improvement. And yeah, it's a massive shout out and thanks to Jack. Welcome back, guys. This is my favorite uh, section of the podcast. We have a couple of members that have sent through a question. One, uh, Troy, who's working with a baseballer, uh, Gary, and he's 
it's I'll read out the questions, but there's sort of three messages to it. So he's working with an athlete who is on the verge of making the Australian women's team. She's extremely fast and powerful, hits well and great in the outfield. And he's gone on to say she's still quite young and feels this could be one of the factors holding her back from making the Aussie team. What do you get noticed by more? What what could she do, I guess, to get as part of it? Are there any specific exercises you would also recommend when programming for baseball athletes? Yeah, so... um... Firstly, great question, and thanks, mate, for um, uh, pulling that down. And women's baseball has just really taken off, and I love it. You know, it's fantastic. I think, you know, we're looking forward to that. Maybe 10, 12 years down the track where I think we'll see some women professional baseball players in the American minor leagues. I think it will evolve to that point. Um, it's really interesting. Like when you say she's extremely fast and powerful, uh, hits well and is great in the outfield, um, generally what I'd like to do is take – she hits great. Well, what does that mean? She hits great, right? Does she hit it where they where they ain't fielding and, you know, falls in and she gets on base? That's one thing. But as a strength and conditioning coach, and I'll, I'll kind of give you the philosophy of how I look at things for an athlete, like the foundation for all our athletes is emotion, right? That's where they make all the decisions from is their emotional kind of foundation. So it's emotion first, cognitive ability second, Look at the physical systems third. Then on top of that, it's the technical ability from those physical systems, the tactical use, and then the strategic use, which is quite often governed by coach and others. And that's going to create an outcome that's going to feed back into that emotional foundation. So you've got this constant kind of upbuilding cycle that goes on. So as strength and conditioning coaches, where do we fit? What's our role? It's to fit between the physical systems and the technical abilities of that athlete, especially in a sport like baseball. So when you're breaking down, okay, she's she hits great. Well, hitting great in baseball at the level at the major league level that I work at means two things. It means ball exit velocity, how hard that baseball is being hit, how fast it comes off the bat, yep. which is kind of an indication of all the physical systems from visual cognitive kind of knowing where that ball is going to be and squaring it up all the way down through creating the right axis planes and having no leaks in the kinematic energy that creates that exit velocity of the baseball. That's one. Launch angle is another one everyone talks about because if you have the right launch angle and you hit the ball hard while it's going out of the park or it's getting into a gap, it's getting above the fielders, right? So key performance indicators, tying those to the physical systems of the athlete is step one. And so if you're looking if you're looking for greater bat speed, sorry, mate, go ahead. Well, what was that? So launch angle, what what's that for um, Yeah, so it's like so instead of instead of we used to always be taught in baseball, hit down on the baseball. Now that a lot of the teaching is hit up on the base because if you're making contact at a fastball coming in at ninety five miles an hour, uh, and you hit the baseball and the ball exits the bat at a hundred and ten, hundred and twenty miles an hour. If you yep. hit it at that angle, it's going out of the park and you're going to create, you know, more, you're going to score more in the game. So launch angle is, is, is exactly that. So those are the two factors we look at for a hitter. So as a strength coach, I'm doing everything I can to get ball exit, ball exit velocity. So better bat speed to create better ball exit velocity and then working on her ability to hit kind of gap to gap neurally. Where does she, how does she line up? You know, is, is, Look at it kinematically and understand, are there leaks in the system? Are there preventions? Great story. Um, I had an athlete. He was an All-American college player. His name is Brett Wallace, actually lives in the Phoenix area near me. Had him with the Astros. 
And a hitting coach came to me and said, dang it, Wally won't pull the ball, which means he won't hit the ball's left field third base side. He won't pull it like an onside in cricket, right? He won't hit it to the onside. And I said, and we were sitting around a batting cage, standing around a batting cage, and I said to, I said to the hitting coach, I said, hang on a second, what do you mean he won't? Is it that he won't or that he can't? Let's unlock his body. Let me do some assessments on him, pull him out of batting practice. One of the first things I found was his hip internal rotation on his front side was shot. So he couldn't even get around to execute pulling the baseball. So sometimes the physical systems are the rate limiting factor. So in terms of coupling that all together, um, there's a number of things like your athlete, if she's young, probably she probably doesn't have a lot of injury history or uh, too much to worry about, probably bounces back, has the right collagen, right, can bounce back from injury pretty quick. Um, yeah. But if uh, for all my baseball athletes, I mean, it's really, really simple. The very first thing we do when they're off the field is offset the asymmetry that is created in baseball. If you're a left-handed hitting and left, um, left-handed throwing outfielder, you turn right for nothing in the sport, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like driving a car. If you've got in bad wheel alignment, then guess what? You know, something's going to break down. So offsetting that asymmetry is always step one, um, bilateral asymmetry. The second thing to offset because of the skill-based sport and the fact that you're sitting around leaning on stuff most of the time is anterior-posterior racing. You offset those two things in, in the beginning, it'll give that athlete a better foundation to work from to produce power and will offset a lot of injury. So I always start there with those and then everything else is very uh, individually governed by their own movement signature as a hitter, thrower, etc. Love that. What an answer. <laughs> I'm sorry, long one. It's not an yeah. easy one. Long one, yeah. I, I snapped this um, portion of the podcast up and put it on the Patreon page, so the Q and A, so Troy can review that review that section. Yeah, yeah. Patreon. Make sure my email's on there too. Look, I'm happy to happy to dive in and help solve some of these problems. What I live for, man. So that's fun. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean that that philosophy could apply to all ball sports, really. Yeah. You know, and particularly, I love the the tool side where it's like let's assess and see if there's a physical why they're not doing, it, yeah. um, and give them more options. You know, yeah, well, exactly, and I think it like I do. My wife is a uh, she's a professor in nutrition at Arizona State University, so she'll call me in once a year to the graduate like she has master's students graduating class, and she'll call me in to do a guest lecture, and I start all my lectures with with two things. I like because you've got variety of sports and backgrounds and everybody in this room. Very first thing I say, look, let's all get on the same page. One, the human body was designed to buy a locomote within a gravitational field. That's what this structure is designed for. Does anybody disagree? Rarely anybody disagrees, right? The next thing is we'll talk about the human body is the most, the best thing about the human body is it's a phenomenal compensation machine. It compensates around injury. It compensates around dyskinesis. It gets the job done. It figures it out. That's the brilliant side of the human body. The problem side of the human body is exactly the same thing. It's a brilliant compensator. So all of a sudden you've got this, especially post-injury or when something changes, it's like how do you unpack and unwrap that new neural pathway and should you, right, or do you, right? Um, so those are things that we look at. I think those, those things are constant for me all the time in looking at, looking at an athlete and yeah, until like I don't do a lot of work in swimming, even though I was a swimmer. Um, that's the only sport I, you know, one of the only ones I know where gravity isn't a part of the equation. So, yeah, we're getting 
a small um, taste of, of, of your analysis and how you break things down. And it's, uh, yeah, it's great to see. It's inspiring to, uh, there's so many skill sets to it, to a good coach. Um, and it's great. You're, you're up to, it, it, yeah. It's life learning too, man. No one's got, no one's got, uh, you know, this, this, this didn't come with a user manual, right? Uh, yeah. So it is just incredible. Um, if, if someone's governed, like one of the things I've had to hire a lot of strength coaches and you'll get this, you'll create a role delineation and you'll have, like the position description, role delineation, you'll get these resumes come in and they are, yeah, they've got the right academic credentials. US is big on certifications. They've got the right certifications. Then beyond that, um, you know, they've had some some experience or limited experience depending on the role you're hiring for. And that's kind of, I talk about as the two-dimensional kind of analysis of the individual. I don't care about the two-dimensional. I'm looking for the this dimension. What What moves you forward? You know, I, I think it's overdone, the old, you know, what's your why thing, I think is overdone. But really, I mean, if you're driven to work with athletes in human performance, it's a lifelong career because you, and that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. that's um, that's great. We'll, we'll go into that now, That this section actually exactly on that, the, the sort of the get to know you um, section. So it's a bit of fun. Um, which movie or, or TV series has impacted you the most and why? And it can, it's nothing to see. Wow. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, get out on the edge. But get out on the edge on, on some movie stuff a little bit. Like um, The Doors was a, a great movie, Val Kilmer's version of The Doors. I really like that. I like, to, I like to see what makes high performers, no matter what channel they're on or what frequency they're operating on, what makes them high performers. My wife had the opportunity... We went to see this um, uh, this show Hamilton, which was all over you know the US as a, a Broadway show. And we got to meet the cast, and as soon as the lead came out, you know I'm all over him, trying to ask him, you know, what's your process? How do you do this? How, how do you project to the back row on seven seven sessions a week? So um, anything that's got anything to do with somebody who's different and performing at a really high level, um, a movie without limits, Steve Prefontaine, his story I think was really good. Um, I got introduced to that when I was at Cybex, and that was um, was very interesting to unpack that. So those have been those have been good. But it's, you know, what's funny is when you work in sport and it's your, and your job, when you finally want to break, I tend to go into music and look at music documentaries and stuff like that. So I'm really down that channel a fair bit. The artist side comes back in. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, sorry, mate. Long answer to that one, but yeah, no, so, there. And the underbelly, of course, because I know everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, favorite inspirational quote or life motto? Wow, inspirational quote or life motto? Um, yeah, after coffee, everything else makes sense. There you go, Melbourneian. <laughs> yeah, I'm no good before coffee, and I read that the other day. I was like, yeah, everything else does make sense after coffee. Now, nah, mate, look, there's 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 probably a ton you could dive into. Um, I don't. I try to find my own sense. Uh, like, have a. And a good mate of mine over here is a guy by the name of Dr. Jeremy Bettle. He was the head of performance for the Brooklyn Nets when we first met, went to the Toronto Maple Leafs, went to the Anaheim Ducks, now over at, at um, uh, New York FC. And I had a phenomenal conversation with him the other day just talking about how, how to value yourself within an organization. Because I feel for a lot of our strength and conditioning, especially here in the US, when something goes wrong, it's your fault. When something goes right, Never get credit, right? Yeah. And so that's pretty. That's a pretty negative self-image that you're getting whacked over the head with every other day. So how do you get outside of that and create 
know your own value and know what drives you. And if it's that altruistic, you know, the evolution of human performance through the athlete, if it's that, then shut out the noise. And that's, I think, part of the Part of the strategy and part of the wisdom as you mature and you've got some success under your belt, you can shut out the noise. Yeah, on that, do you think like, you know, how there'll be weekly or monthly, half season, end of season, like what's your take on? on- yeah, it depends. Um, depends who's doing the review. <laughs> it depends yeah. on how they're measuring things, right? So one of the things uh, I've learned, especially uh, in Major League Baseball, I had, um, I had nine hours worth of interviews one day uh, with a major league team to be their strength and conditioning head coach. And I walked out of there and I said, you know what? There was not one person in there qualified to even interview me. I'm talking to front office people. They don't even know what you do. They can't, yeah. they can't decide what it is. Creating reviews are fine. And this, this was a quote I actually picked up uh, at an MIT Sloan conference. I was fortunate to be backstage in an event that President Obama at the time was in, and he made this comment. I'll never forget it. Um, where it was about 20 of us in a, like a round table, and he's there, right, with Secret Service everywhere. And he, and he made, this, made this comment. He was telling a story about something he said during a, one of the crisis um, situations he was dealing with. He said, look, he goes, you're entitled to your opinion. What you're not entitled to are your own facts. Entitled to your own opinion, not entitled to your own facts. So when people are doing reviews, I think it's incumbent upon the strength and conditioning coach to say, hey, you know what? If someone says he's out of shape or they're like this, well, that's your opinion. Let's go to the data. What does the data say? And if your work is supporting those data changes, it shuts up every conversation. It's fact. Cannot argue the numbers. So I would say from a, do I like reviews? As long as you have the opportunity to prevent, present facts, I think they're phenomenal. Yes. And that, that's a good lesson right there for for aspiring S&Cs to, to do, don't ignore the sports science element because it could save your job. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, or get you a job, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. Uh, in your work, what makes you angry, i.e. pet peeves? Yeah, exactly the coaching staff we talked about that have opinions that aren't based on fact. And, and look, I, I try to always, you know, if you point the finger, you've got three pointing right back at you, right? The very first thing I have to do is always, and I think this comes from, from age and time as well, step back and understand, you know, why is somebody making a comment that may not be based upon fact um, and pull them aside and try to, try to understand, try to be, you know, you have to be psychologists sometimes and understand, is that coming from a place of fear? Where is it coming from? Generally in, in elite sports, it is because guess what? You lose that job. There's only one way you're going and that's down. Right. Yeah. You know, you've been a strength coach under the bright lights of the NFL and NBA, Major League Baseball. And then boom. Now you're down in uh, you're working at 24 hour fitness as a personal trainer trying to make ends meet. Right. I mean, I get so that fear is kind of innate in there. But um, the thing that, yeah, the, I used to have a lot of pet peeves younger. I think they've subsided. Um, but it's the inability to discern fact from opinion, I would say, is a big one. Yeah. What about your favorite way to spend your day off? Ah, <laughs> uh, geez. Okay. Uh, surfing if I could, but I'm in Arizona, right? So that's a six hour drive to San Diego. Uh, day off. Um, catching up on sleep generally <laughs> uh, is probably the starter. But uh, yeah, look, I, I got really lucky and married over my skis, as most of my friends say. I got a really brilliant, smart wife. So yeah, just being in, being in that aura for a little while, good enough for me. And then the last one, what's your favorite holiday destination? Wow. Okay. So um, 
That's a tough one, mate. Um, haven't travelled a ton. This is COVID um, free as well. Free, yeah, this is pre-COVID. I had four trips since uh, I, <laughs> since uh, COVID kind of hit, and I uh, just finished the fourth one. But um, probably uh, Italy, um, Lake Como. My wife and I just really enjoyed that. But you know what? Uh, we enjoyed. We spent time up in Noosa. I was working for the Brisbane Bandits uh, one season in the Australian Baseball League, and we had the opportunity. She came out and. Uh, Spent a fair bit of time in around Noosa, uh, you know, Queensland. Yeah, look, um, it's not normally location. It's uh, it's probably mindset, you know, that I can apply in, in a location. So whatever, Hawaii is always good, right? Get off the plane, you're automatically relaxed. It's like they got, I don't know, um, you know, Valium in the air or something. I don't know what it is, but it's uh, it's pretty good. I've been to Hawaii once and absolutely loved it. Yeah, I didn't get. To, well, we surfed once, but I've been looking. I've been taking up a bit of surfing last year, so I'm with you. I'll to- give you a, give you a funny story real quick. Catapult uh, 2014. We have a performance um, uh, workshop, and I convinced the guys at Catapult to give me 50 grand to put this thing on. Right, so we're going to fly in all the strength and conditioning coaches that we were working with from the NFL and NC2A football. Wow. We wanted it in Hawaii because of the Pro Bowl was in Hawaii, which is a big event. So a lot of kind of overflow cachet, that halo event there. Flew in Darren Burgess, David Tenney, a lot of the guys who have used Catapult for a while and give presentations. And one of our NFL consultants, you know, older guy, says to me, hey, we want to take these guys golf. I'm like, man, most of the strength coaches here are like in their mid, mid-20s mid to late th- to mid-30s. They don't want to golf. They do surfing lessons. And then yeah. Bowden Leftover, who was, who's just left Catapult, who was a vice president of marketing, says, yeah, why don't we put Catapult monitors on them and we'll see how they go. We can show that the next day. I'm like, that's a brilliant idea, right? So we go down to the beach. We lay out all this stuff. We've got 24 monitors and vests all laid out. I look at Bowden. I go, mate, are these things waterproof? And he goes, oh, shit, no, they're not waterproof. I was like, God, okay, hang on a minute. I go tearing off across the road to this little ABC store, which is a convenience store in Hawaii, right? Packed with tourists. I walked straight up to the counter. I said, mate, I need 24 condoms. I need them right now. Where do I find them? <laughs> so looking at me like, what's going on? People are like, where's the party? It's down on the beach, guys. So we put these models, tying them up in condoms. And, and the funny thing was Eric Ciano, who's a head strength coach for the Bills, had one of the best wipeouts we'd ever seen. The data was all there. It was brilliant to this day. I mean, it's coming up. We'll be coming up soon on 10 years later. I'm still saying to Mary, you're the worst surfer I've ever seen. That was Hawaii. Sorry. That's awesome. Classic. <laughs> Things you got to uh, do, right? Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of S&Cs get together in Hawaii and they surf with, uh, yeah, GPS. Yeah. It was um, fun. Surrounded by Condom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, mate. You, you're doing plenty with, with podcast as well. So where can people find you? Um, where yeah. You yeah, it's really – the podcast stuff's really interesting, the Human Kinosome Project. So our, our CEO, she said, you know, we've got a human genome. Why don't we have a human kinosome, which really piqued my attention, right? We all have individual movement profiles, and, we, and, and that movement um, adds or subtracts from our overall health. So – one of the things we're looking at at Kinetics, which is a um, like a force plate in a shoe that's about to be released, is looking at those changes in force, pressure, everything else, um, and imperceptible. You don't even know it's in your shoe. Phenomenal technology that I think is going to govern some up kinematic chain kind of knowledge and, and exploration for us. So 
um, Human Kinesome podcast. You can find out, I think, on Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts. I think we're about eight, nine episodes in. Did a really good one with the uh, women's ninth, ninth place finisher in the marathon, uh, Melinda Elmore, last week. That's That was a good one. Um, you can catch me on Twitter. I think it's strengthcoach21, uh, gary at mccoyperformance.com. You can email me. Um, yeah, your questions, uh, there's never, there's no such thing. I think actors say there's no such thing as small parts, only small actors. Well, there's no such thing as a small question, only a small answer. You know, it's like um, yeah. let's unload them because, you know, I learn from, from this stuff. And, it, like, you get to a point, especially in a rotational sport like baseball, where uh, there's so much we still don't know and that we're yeah. still discovering. Um, somebody's going to have a question. It's going to it's going to change my vector as well. But mate, thank you so much for for jumping on. And for those that are tuned in uh, later in the chat, make sure to watch the very start because Gary's not only talked about his journey and he has, which has been a great career, but also his philosophy site about it for for all S and Cs, but also athletes as well. So thanks so much, mate. It's been great. Very to welcome, mate. My pleasure. Looking forward to uh, seeing more. Yeah, yeah, definitely, mate. And if we're if you're in Australia or uh, if I'm in America, I'll have to hit you up. My wife's American as well, so there's a bit of awesome. connection. Yeah, yeah. fantastic, mate. You've got to get over here because I doubt I'll, I've already done quarantine once. Oh, it's rugged. I don't know if I'll no, be back okay. uh, too soon. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll be we'll be over with you guys for sure. Awesome. It'll be <laughs> yeah. fun. Awesome, Gary. Thanks again, mate. All right, mate. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and uh, thanks, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane and I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know 
or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.